So hopefully as we are singing through those songs, someone was, someone was singing them because they had actually given me some questions for the week. And I answer their questions and we go back and forth with them. But questions like, why did God die for me? What does heaven look like? Why does he care? Why did he make me? I think we sang about all of those questions this morning. Um, and uh, good things for us to think about and to ponder of what God's perspective is of us, what God feels about us, and what God wants from us, what God desires for us. And he has gone to prepare a place for us that where he is, we may be also. And that's a promise that we can hold on to. That's the ultimate hope that we all need to hold on to. We can hope for so many different things. And I'll go off on a quick tangent. Christianity today drives us, turn on your TV or radio, whatever your favorite program is, get on the internet. We end up hoping for so many different things in today's world of Christianity and so much of it falls short. God has, God has promised me that I will be with him for all eternity. That is the hope that lies within me. That is the hope that each and every one of us can hang on to. That is is something that I guarantee you. I will stand here and guarantee you that is the promise of God. And that's the hope that we hold on to. The hope of eternity. I will also say from the the purpose of, of sickness and disease... It is appointed to man once to die. We, we are headed at some point to the end of our physical life. And whether that be a sickness when we are five years old or a sickness when we are 120 years old, at some point our physical life will come to an end and there is the hope that lies before us. And from a Christianity perspective, if you're holding on to God because he's going to give you treasures, because he's going to give you health, wealth, prosperity, whatever it may be, if you're holding on to God because of that hope, I ask you to very quickly change that hope and change that hope into one that I have in eternity. When we're told in the scripture to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you, we're not talking about, well, I believe in Jesus because he's going to keep me free from getting sick. No, I believe in Jesus because he's prepared a place for me and where he is, there I will be. That he has forgiven my sins. He has cleansed me from all unrighteousness. And with it we have eternal life. There's the hope. That's the hope that we push for. That I'm going home. That all of this is going away. And I'm going home. That's the hope we hold on to. And I encourage you. Hold on to that hope. Because everything else. Everything else is just icing on a cake. And so when God does heal us. When God does give us prosperity, when God does give us influence with our friends, when God does give us whatever he gives us, that's all icing on the cake. Make sure you have the cake. Make sure you have the cake. Make sure you have the hope that lies within you. Because God does care for us. And that's the ultimate hope that we have for each and every one of us. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. Uh, set priorities. is a crazy passage of scripture. We're going to look at it. Um, Allow God to speak to us and to gain some understanding from God's word in Matthew chapter 23 this morning. We find in God's word, starting at verse 1 of Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to, to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. 
But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we seek out your word this morning, and we seek your word to instruct us, to teach us, to correct us, rebuke us, to train us in righteousness. We ask that you do so through your word this morning. As we go through this passage, Lord, help us to find what you were saying to the crowds and to, to your disciples, and in turn that we find what you want to say to us today as well. We thank you for your word, the wisdom that we have before us, and that we can find ourselves turning to it each and every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I find this quite an interesting passage, and I know I've shared before, when I plan out my year from a, a, what am I going to preach, I, I start this time of year and I start looking at 2021 and certainly a year ago I started looking at 2020 and saying what am I going to preach and I don't waver from it I I can say that no matter what it is coronavirus elections division whatever's going on I don't waver from what God said to me back in November and December of 2019 I, I just allow God's word to go through and so I find this passage of scripture very interesting for us to look at uh because, wow, uh, we're in the middle of uh, an interesting time in our country. Uh, we're at a, a days before what I would call a historical election, or you could say a hysterical election, uh, depending on your view of it. We live in a time where, you know, we have this coronavirus pandemic, and you could say, you know, this is a historic time, or maybe you were looking at it and you're saying it's a hysteric time. Uh, whatever way, whatever your view is of looking at it. Uh, we do live in a day where clearly right is wrong and wrong is right. And there's many, many people that we would, I think, want to listen to and not do what they say. And then there's other people that uh, we don't even want to listen to. And so we go through all of this confusion. And so I find this passage to be quite timely for us to look at in today's day. And we're at a day where morality runs amok. Uh, everything, you know, right and wrong and wrong and right, and morality is just, you know, immorality, I should say, is rampant around us. But I think with everything going on, I know with everything going on in all of the world, and I would say outside of the church and outside of our own lives, I know that God looks at each and every single one of us, and he looks at each and every one of us, and he looks at me, and he says, but what about you? What about you? Where are your priorities set? What's going on in your life? 
And so I get so worried about and concerned about and, you know, oh, did you see what so-and-so did? Oh, did you see what they said? Did you see the way that they're acting? Quite often I get turned away from looking at myself. And, and God comes back to me and says, but Ralph, what about you? And fill in your name in the blank. He's, he's coming and he's saying, what about you? Where are your priorities set? And I believe as we go through this passage of Scripture this morning, that's what he wants to say to each and every one of us. What about you? Where are your priorities sitting today? How are you setting your priorities? There was a lady that she was going down the road and she came to a fork in the road, much like the, the screen that's above me, and you know, different ways that she could choose. And this lady came to that point in the road and she had a stick in her hand and she threw the stick up in the road and it landed on the ground. And she picked it up again and threw it up and, and landed on the ground. She was trying to decide which way do I go. Picked up the stick and landed on the ground. And eventually another lady came by and saw her throwing this stick up in the air and letting it land, land on the ground. And the other lady said to her, she said, well, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm trying to decide which road that I should go. Which path should I take? And she said, well, you keep throwing that stick up in the air and letting it land on the ground. And she said, yeah, but every time it lands, it points to the road that I don't want to take. And that's where we are in our lives. That's where we are in our lives. We throw the stick up in the, in the air, and this is how we go through our, through our days. This is how we set our priorities. We do hear God speaking to us. God's crying out to the world. God's crying out to all of us. And he's saying, this is the way that I want you to go. And you say, yeah, but if the stick lands and points this way, I'm going to go here. And we allow our lives and the things that come against us in our lives to guide us. Sadly, our moral compass in our lives comes, becomes one of throwing a stick up in the air. We allow our cult, the culture around us to push on us. We allow our paradigms. We allow the way that we feel on a given day. We allow what others, others think about us. We allow all of these things to come against us and to impact our moral compass and direct us. And I think God still looks back to us and he gets eye to eye with us and he says, but what about you? And he points to me and he says, what about you? What are you doing? Where do your priorities sit? Sending the scene for the scripture before we dig into it some. We get into verse 1, and it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. So we know who Jesus is talking to. It's very clear. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to, the dis and to his disciples. And when I read this, I asked myself right away, I said, Well, where were the Pharisees? Where were the Sadducees? Where, the, where were the teachers of the law? Where were the Herodians? All of the people that we read about in the previous weeks in chapter 22 and chapter 21, where did they all go? And Jesus is now talking to the crowds and the disciples. Now, I tend to believe, and I can't prove it to you from Scripture, but I tend to believe that they were within earshot. They were there. Jesus is directing his teaching to the crowds and to the disciples because they were willing to listen. He was, he was able to look at them eye to eye and get a response. But at the same time, I believe that the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the Herodians, they were hanging around. They were listening to what Jesus was, was saying. And so I want you to understand that picture as we go through this passage. I'll, I'll, I'll explain it to you this way. And I have this all written out, but I'll, I'll explain it to you this way. My son used to play basketball when... Well, all through high school, but he started when he was little, I mean very little, and we shoot hoops all the time, and he was pretty good at it. He, he had a nice little jump shot at the age of 10, 
And around 10 or 11, he played in a YMCA league. We lived up in Bath, Maine, tiny little town, not a lot of people. Everybody knew everybody, and certainly everybody knew the pastor at the Salvation Army and knew who I was. And my son was on a basketball team, you know, 10, 11-year-olds, and they were good. They, they were at the point, they were good, no one could beat them. And if it wasn't for their, their point guard breaking their arm the day before the championship game, they would have won the championship that year for the YMCA. But they were good because they could dribble, they could pass, and they could shoot. And it only took, there was three of them on the team, that they could really dribble, pass, and shoot. And because they were good, the referees were a little bit harder on them than they were the other teams. And it was a recreational league. Those things happen, and, and you just sort of live with them. But they, they could never understand, you're 10 years old. You know, why do I get, you know, the whistle blown at me for all of these things all the time, but the other team can get away with running around with the ball and not even dribbling it? Um, but that's the way it was. And so there was one game that was really, really frustrating for my son. I mean, he, I could tell he was frustrating, and here's dad sitting, and I always sat on the first row of the gym, right at the middle of the court. And so just like, sort of like we are here, and I can tell you there was not much of a sideline on the court. And, and this is where I sat. My wife can be my witness. And I would sit right here in the middle of the court, half the court this way, half the court that way. And it was only about a foot or two between me and the, the, the inbound line. Which just so happened, they were having that game. My son was frustrated to all get out, but they were winning. They were winning really easy. And the, someone threw the ball from the other team, and it came right at me. And I caught the basketball. Now, my son was the guy that always inbounded the ball. Easy play. He would inbound the ball over to the other one, run straight down to the baseline. The guy would throw it back, and he'd shoot a baseline jump shot, bury it every time. And if they came out and covered him, he would just go in and they'd shoot a layup. This is the play they ran all the time. But the ball comes to me, so he's coming over to inbound the ball. And he's going to stand, literally. If I would kick my foot, I would hit him. But guess who else has to come over? The referee. The referee has to come over as well. So I'm holding the ball, and I don't throw it back. And the referee comes back over, and I hand the referee the ball. And then I lean forward. And I said, bud, and about that loud too, bud, I know you're having a hard game. I know you don't like the calls the referees are making, but just go out there and play your game, and you'll win the game. And I sat back. Now, the referee couldn't hand him the ball. I did this right in front of the referee. When Jesus went to teach to the, the people that were around him, to the people that were there, and to his disciples, yeah, those chief... the, the the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the Herodians, they were there. And Jesus is throwing something out that he wants them, the people, to hear, but he also wants them to hear as well. And just in the same way, don't follow my example on that one, in the same way that I was saying something to my son that he needed to hear to continue to play the game without frustration, I was sending a very clear message to the referee who was standing next to me. By the way, it is also, I got myself in trouble for that one because every week all the referees get together and they would talk about how the refereeing went and the coaches were the referees and, and the referee actually, this story came back to me, came back around and he said, he said, yeah, but it's so hard to referee the games 
when you have the pastor from the Salvation Army who's sitting in the front row telling you how to referee the game. <laughs> you know, so, so things do come back around. But So keep in mind as we go through this, Jesus was clearly talking not just to, not just to the crowds, not just to the disciples. He was clearly talking to the other people that were around. And he was clearly talking to you and to me. Clearly talking to you and to me as well. So we're going to go through this. I have four things for us to look at in regards to where Jesus was at and the things that he was saying for us to go through. And we're going to start off by looking at what I call Jesus is setting the standard for us. Jesus shoots straight from the hip with the people and with, the, with those that are around, those that were listening, that they had to turn to the Word of God as their source of reference. In verses 2 and 3, where Jesus sets this standard, He says, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. Very simple. Obey them and do everything they tell you. When, when they would sit down, when the, when the chief priests, the, the teachers of the law, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, when they would, they would come into the synagogue, when they would be ready to teach, they would get the Word of God, they would stand up with the Word of God, and they would read the Word of God. And the Word of God was the first five books of the Bible. We are blessed. We have 66 books in God's Word by 40 authors that are there to instruct us, to teach us, to guide us, to, to help us walk the right path. But they would stand up and they would read from the, the Word of God, those first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And as they read those word, the Word of God, that's what Jesus is saying. Do what they say. Not everything else that they added on, but when they read that Word of God to you, take it and live it out. I can tell you right now in, in our lives, I, the first one to two minutes here, I read from Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. If you walk away with anything today, take the first one to two minutes and treat it as gold. Treat it as gold. Hold on to it. Treasure it. Ponder it. Meditate on it. Think about it. And walk away with it because that is God's Word. The next 38 minutes as I expound and I talk about a lot of different things, take that and weigh it, weigh it against God's Word, and take it from me allowing God to try and speak through me to give you a message. But the first one to two minutes was God's Word. That is where we set our standard. And Jesus is saying to them, set your standard on God's Word. Nothing more, nothing less. That is the ultimate truth. You know, in track and field, we have a high jump. We're tried to do the high jump. Not necessarily easy, but there's a reality on the high jump. You, you get there. You, I, I like watching the Olympics where the guy says, now I'll pass. Now I'll pass. And they're at the lower heights. And I don't know what the high jump record is. I should have gone and looked it up. But whether it, it you know, I know it's way up there. But, it, but the, the guys that are really good, they just say, no, I'll pass at that lower height because I can do that. Why even try? Why even waste my energy? There's a certain standard. When, and when it gets up high, whether it's five feet or six feet or whatever that high jump is at, if it's at five feet and it's my turn to go and jump over it, I have no right to go and say, oh, by the way, could you lower it down to three because I can't make five. And they would look at me and say, you're crazy. It's all, it, the standard is five feet. What do you mean you want to jump at three? Well, I, I like three. Three feels good. Three is what I want. Three makes me feel good. Three should make you feel good. Let's do three. And the guy running the track and field event, he says, I'm sorry, Ralph, but we're at five. That's the standard. Why in our lives do we want to take God's word and lower the standard? 
God's given us his word. He set a standard for us. It's now a matter of us for us to read it and understand it and put it into our lives. And in no way can we lower the bar just so we feel good in regards to the standard. When I read God's word, I read God's word and I say, I'm a wretch. I'm messed up. There are things I need to learn. There are things I need to grow in. There are things that I need to correct in my lives. And I understand that I am a sinner because I am allowing God's word to reveal sin in my life. But then I can say, but it's the grace of God that's going to forgive me and to lift me up. It's the grace of God that's going to take me and say, here you are, Ralph. I'll just help you up and over that bar. It is my righteousness that I'll give to you, and I will lift you up, and you can go right over that bar. I had my little granddaughters yesterday when I was working at my son's house, and he had the gate up, so they couldn't go up and down the stairs. And it was really there for the little one to not go up. And they would say, Pap, Pap, I want to go upstairs. And I would just pick them up. Over the gate you go. Off you go. Go over the gate. That's the grace of God coming into our lives. And when we set the standard and read the standard and understand the standard and see the sin in our lives, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, pours into us and says, here you go. I'm going to lift you up. You're right over the standard. And then it's the graces of God that allow us to live there and stay there and to walk with God in righteousness, with purity and holiness. From the setting of the standard, I'll keep moving on and moving from a setting of the standard to something that is more disastrous, and that's setting the self Verses 5, 6, and 7, Jesus really calls out the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and Sadducees. He calls them out in everything they do. Those three quick items, I want you to understand. There's three quick items in here. They want to be seen, they want to be seated at the right place, and they want to be saturated with praise. There's a mini-sermon for you in there. They want to be seen, they want to be seated at the right places, and they want to be saturated with praise. Everything they do is for the people to see. When we set everything on our own ego, that I want to be seen. I want people to think good about me. I want people to say, oh, there he goes. Oh, did you see that guy down there? It's pumping up our own ego. And Jesus is pointing out this is a dangerous place to set our standards. From being seen where they want to be seated. In the next verse, right, they love the place of honor at the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. Right, they're going to sit up front. They are going to get the best seat. And why do they want the best seat? That way when everybody walks in, they can see them. See how good I am. I got my sharp shoot, suit on today. I got my phylacteries, right? Real big. And you can see them. The tassels on my robe. Yours are short. Mine's long. Uh, I see you got imitation, you know, cubic zirconium, and I got real diamonds hanging from mine. And everything is about them, the pumping up of self, and that they want to be seated at the right place. So again, so they would receive the honor. So they would be lifted up. So they would be glorified. And they certainly love the saturation of praise. The ego's taking full bloom, right? To be seen and then seated at the right place. And now tell me how good I am. Give me praise. Tell me how great I am. Tell me that everything centers around me. Uh, if you put my, my, my feet down, the whole universe just spins around me. Boy, the world would stop if I wasn't there. Oh, you know, if, if I quit my job, they would just fall apart. Isn't that, that's the kind of ego we get. That's the, kind of, that's the thing that pumps us up that we think we're so important that the whole world just revolves around us. And God's saying, there's a dangerous place to set your standards. Our ego gets in the way of everything that we do and everything in our world <laughs> becomes self-exaltation and self-fulfillment. 
Second Chronicles 26, we read about King Uzziah. I like King Uzziah. He became king when he was 16 years old. What a cool job. You're 16 years old and you are king. And what's great about him as a 16-year-old is that he did everything that was right in the eyes of God. He was a great king. He was a prosperous king. He led the people of Israel very, very well until he got to a certain point in his life. He got to that point in his life. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. King Uzziah goes into the temple And instead of allowing the priests to carry on with their worship, King Uzziah decides that he is going to go and he's going to burn the incense on the incense altar. It wasn't his job. It wasn't his responsibility. It was the priest's responsibility. His job was to be the king of the land. He had everything. He was king. And he goes and tries to take away the priest's duty. And with it, immediately he gets leprosy. And the priests see the leprosy on him and they whisk him out of the temple and they put him into a house and he lives in isolation the rest of his days. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Jesus knew that we would be tempted to always go there. And he says, don't go there. Don't go there. Jesus knew that those in his day would be tempted to go there. And he makes it clear, when tempted, don't go there. And when we find ourselves on the path and we're making the decision, do we go to the right or to the left, don't go there. When we see our friends, our family, our loved ones that are heading down self-destruction because of their pride, warn them and caution them, don't go there. Don't go there. It's a place of destruction. And Jesus calls that out for them to hear and for us to see and hear as well. We set the standard, the disastrous area of the self, and the anti to the self is to set the superior to have God first in our lives. Moving into verses 8, 9, and 10, you are called to be rabbi and you only have one master and we have father as well and then we have teacher later on. I want to tell you this morning, it is okay to call somebody rabbi. It is okay to call someone father. It is okay to call someone teacher. I want you to understand what this verse is talking about. What the verse is talking about is don't make them bigger than God. And so all of you that are in school, it's still okay to call your teacher teacher. All of you that have a father, it's still okay to call your father, father. All of you that have a rabbi, I don't think anybody in the room does, but it's still okay to call your rabbi, rabbi. What God's word is saying though, don't put them above God. God is the one that we hold in honor. God is the one who is above all. We have one Messiah. We have one God. We have one God that we glorify above all else. And we keep our teachers, our our rabbis, those in leadership over us, our fathers, in perspective that they are not God. When you go to 2 Samuel, you see David bringing in the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. The second time, that is. Uh, The first time earlier in that chapter. Uh, It's a little bit of a disaster. But the second time, he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant in. And every six steps that they take. Now, I thought about this. Every six steps that they take, one, two, three, four, five, six, stop, and now we're going to sacrifice a bull and a fattened calf, we're going to praise God, and then we're going to take another six steps headed to Jerusalem, one, two, three, four, five, six, we're going to stop, we're going to, we're going to sacrifice a bull, we're going to sacrifice a fattened calf, we're going to praise God, we're going to glorify God, and then we're going to take another, and they kept doing this the whole way to Jerusalem. 
But when you read those two stories, I found a little bit of a difference between the two stories. The first one time when it was a, a disaster, a disastrous, when Uzzah died, when he touched the ark and God struck him dead. And the second time where they're carrying the ark, where they're supposed to carry it, not be on a cart. But the first time, we're told that, that David took 30,000 young men to bring the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem. It's interesting. And I never picked this up until I was reading through the Bible this just a couple months ago. 30,000 young men going into Jerusalem. When you read about the Ark of the Covenant going into Jerusalem the second time, we're told that he had all Israel with him to bring it in a second time. See, the first time he just took a bunch of his pals, a bunch of his fighting buddies to take it in. And he did it wrong. And the second time he says... No, I'm going to really do this right. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to glorify God. I'm going to praise God. We're going to carry the ark, not roll it on a cart. And I'm going to have all of Israel with me. Praising God and honoring God, not just a select group of people. David learned that he needed to put God first. He needed to put God first. And in it, he successfully brought the Ark of the Covenant, the presence that represented the presence of God, into the city with him. He knew that God was going to be superior than everything else. He was going to be the one that received honor and glory and praise. He was the one that was held in reverence. He was the one that was going to be held in awe. He was the one that David would bow a knee to. Matthew 10, 32 and 33 Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. That's setting the superior. Did God do it or did I do it? One is setting the self, the other one's setting the superior. Did I do it or did God do it? And as soon as I say, I did it, now I'm honoring me. But as long as I can, I can say, God did it, and God used me, and God did something great. I'm honoring God and giving Him the glory, the honor, and the praise forever and ever. There's a story that floats around. It's about an elderly gentleman. He was legally blind, and he was deaf. And every Sunday morning, he would get up, get himself ready, and he would walk to church. And he would find his way to his place of worship, and he'd come back home. And every single Sunday. When he was at church, he couldn't see anything. He couldn't hear the music that was playing. He couldn't hear the sermon. But faithfully, he would go to church every Sunday. Finally, someone came to him and said, Why do you do it? Why do you do it? And he looked at him and he said, Because I want my neighbors to know that I love God. And I go to church to worship Him. Keeping God as the superior. Keeping God first in our lives. Keeping God on the throne and keeping Him as our standard. God is first and must always stay first. We set the standard. We have the disaster of setting the self. The anti to that is setting the superior and having God first. But Jesus finishes out with setting the servanthood. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The verses speak for themselves. Believers in Jesus Christ should always see themselves as a servant of God. Read through the New Testament. Peter. What does Peter call himself? 
a servant of God. Read about Paul. What does Paul call himself? A servant of God. Turn to the book of Jude. It's short. You could read it through in 10 minutes. What does Jude call himself? A servant of God. What does James, the half-brother of Jesus, call himself? He doesn't say, look at me. I'm the half-brother of Jesus. No, he calls himself a servant of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ is described for us as a servant. A servant willing to go to the cross to die for our sins and to forgive us of our sins. How far are we willing to go and be a servant of God? To walk in humility with our God. There's an old Sunday school course. I've shared it before. I love this. It's one that just comes back to mind over and over. J-O-Y, J-O-Y. This must surely mean Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. J-O-Y, joy. J-O-Y, J-O-Y. This must surely mean Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. That's setting the standard. That's setting the standard of making sure God is first in our lives. That God's word is first in our lives. And that we're, we're last. Keep our ego where it needs to be. We set the priority right. It's the decision we make. It's the power of God that helps us stay there when we make the right decision. I can tell you there's another way to go through life. Throw the stick up in the air and see which way it lands and then just go your own way. But I'll warn you, it leads to disaster. But if we turn back to God's word and we turn back and putting God first, and we put ourselves last as a servant, we will always find the joy of the Lord being our strength. Will God's word be your standard? Will you keep God first? Will you live your life as a servant of God? I can't set your priorities. I can set mine. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. Hopefully you can finish the sentence and you could say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you can walk away and say that today, when asked the question, choose this day whom you will serve, and you can say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, then you're starting to get your priorities right. Set on the Word of God. Set on God as being superior in our lives. Set on us working, walking in servanthood. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you brought these words forth truly for us today. I know they're there for us today. We live in a land of ego. We live in a land where it's important for us to be heard, to be seen, to be important, to be valued. While all those things are okay, they're not where you call your believers to be in regards to setting our standards. So Lord, today, help us to make a renewal commitment with you that we are setting our standard, that your truth is what directs us. The Word of God. We're setting a standard that you are always first in our lives that you are the one who is on the throne 
and that we will follow you all of our days. Lord, help us as believers in you to walk in humility, to humbly serve our God, to find ourselves in service to others. Lord, I thank you for your blessing on our lives. I thank you for calling us forth this morning to be in your presence here in this church. I thank you for the extra hour of sleep last night. Crazy time change thing that we had. You've still given it to us. Let us have an extra hour of sleep once in a while. May we count our blessings and see how good you are to us. Your faithfulness to us. Thank you, Lord, that we have your word, that we can go to any bookstore. We can go to Walmart and buy a Bible, Lord. Oh, we're so blessed to have your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can open it up and read it, have it in front of us, and that you guide our lives by your word. Lord, I ask that you do continue to give a hedge of protection around us, Lord, I again ask that you be with our loved ones who are sick. Lord, you know who's on our hearts. Some walking through the last stages of life. Some fighting uphill battles with sickness. Loved ones that we have. We're in nursing homes, no idea what's going on, wondering why family doesn't come to visit. Others facing medical tests in their future, decisions they need to make and what they do. Lord, continue to be our peace. May we always find our joy in you our strength in you. Lord, give wisdom as we care for loved ones, as we pray for each other, as we lift each other up. Give us wisdom on how to care for each other and love each other during these days. Lord, give us a peace that is beyond our understanding that pours over our hearts, the turmoil that is upcoming in this week, Lord. Help us as believers to stand in peace, loving you. You are the same today, yesterday, and forever. You are the God who sits on the throne above. You were there today, and you will still be there on Wednesday morning. So may we walk through this life and this week with peace and love in our hearts. Trusting in you for each and every day. Lord, again, you have been so gracious and kind to us. Your love pouring out over us. Thank you. 
Thank you for that hedge of protection that you place around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.